Have you ever wondered why Jesus healed on the Sabbath day? Did you know that from a Hebrew perspective of Hebrew law, that Jesus was actually correct? And those who opposed him were incorrect, even in the sense of the law. Did you know, beloved saints, that each individual case that Jesus chose to heal on the Sabbath day is a prophetic parallel of the redemptive rest and the depths of deliverance that God has available for you. And especially during this season, this season on the biblical calendar, which is Rosh Hashanah, God wants to deliver you from bondages and he wants to bring you out of bondage, break the chain of your pain and bring you out of bondage into breakthrough. So join me today because today is going to be a breakthrough day for you. I'm Dr. Michelle Corral, and I want to invite you to our Day of Destiny podcast and also to my Day of Destiny website. You can go to our website and download any of our former teachings and also my latest book, which is Secrets of the Anointing. You don't want to miss this opportunity. So you can go to our website, mydayofdestiny.com. Now, let's get ready to understand the supernatural secrets of the Sabbath that are ours through Christ, through the redemption that He paid for you and for me. The redemptive rest of deliverance, deliverance from sorrow, deliverance from bondage, deliverance that you might rise and get up and walk and not stay stuck in a cycle of pain. The deliverance of what God wants to do to give you the creative abilities to be the person he ordained you to be. Let's see these messianic mysteries hidden in the secret of the Sabbath as we prepare for God's breakthrough for you. Today, we are going to begin with one of the most powerful healings that we see, but how can you match a miracle with another miracle? All of the miracles that Jesus did were profound. All of the miracles that Jesus did not only healed physically, but brought a deliverance in the interior man, brought a deliverance from the chain of pain, caused those that were traumatized and became emotionally paralyzed through all that they had been through, through trauma, through rejection, through sorrow. And today I want to focus on the miracles that Jesus performed on the Sabbath day. Let us look just for a moment at the scripture. And I'm going to read to you from Luke's gospel in the 13th chapter in the 10th verse. Notice what it is saying. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there came a woman that had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and she was bowed over and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. 
And he said, woman, thou art loosed from thy infirmity. And when he laid his hands on her, she was immediately straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, there are six days in which men ought to work and in them come can come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrite, do you not loose your donkey from the stall and lead it away to watering on the Sabbath? Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, be loosed from this bond all these 18 years on the Sabbath day? And when he said these things, his adversaries were ashamed and the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Now, beloved saints, allow me first to give you the literal interpretation of these texts. Then we're going to go into the personal, powerful, prophetic meaning, because I believe that there are some of you listening to this podcast today. You have also been bowed down with the spirit. There is some of you that have been under uh, years of oppression. Some of you have been under the bondage of a Pharaoh. Some of you have been under the bondage of manipulation and you have been controlled by intimidation and you can't rise up and stand straight and go forward to your destiny because every time you try to get up, something pulls you down again. But today in the name of Jesus, you are going forward. And first, it is absolutely essentially important that we understand what's really going on here. Because I believe if you first bear with me and learn the literal meaning of these texts, then you can apply the personal, powerful, prophetic, relevant meaning in your own life. So first of all, let's establish one fact. Jesus was not in any way, shape, or form. Please repeat these words. He was not in any way, shape, or form a renegade rabbi. That in itself is almost unbearable for me to even speak because Jesus knew and taught the Torah more articulate and more exquisitely and more profoundly than any rabbi that ever walked on this earth. Secondly, I want you to understand that when we see beloved saints, what he is doing on the Sabbath, we must first look at the laws that were definitely instated even 110 years before Jesus Actually, 110 years B.C. was a wonderful rabbi by the name of Hillel, known as Hillel the Elder. Let me tell you his story so you can understand where the laws of Pekua Kanefesh actually originated from. You may say, Dr. Corral, what are the laws of Pekuach Hanefesh? The laws of Pekuach Hanefesh are the laws in the Torah that teach that saving a life overrides 
any law in the Torah to save a life, even the Sabbath. So that means that a person has the duty to actually violate the Sabbath. God forbid that that would have to be done to a Jew. But I want you to understand that these laws of Pekuah Kanefesh mean that uh that in order to save a life or that the value of a life or that the more important value of saving a life overrides the Sabbath. So if you have to choose between observing the Sabbath and someone dying, even an animal being in distress, what do you choose? Do you allow an animal to be in distress because it's the Sabbath if it falls into a ditch? No, the Torah actually teaches that the Sabbath gives preference to an animal that has fallen into a ditch. When an ox falls into a ditch, the ox is to be pulled out. It is to live because the Sabbath day is a day of life. And we also see that the Babylonian Talmud, I'm only quoting to you Jewish law, says that you shall live by my commandments, not die by them. This is quoted from the Babylonian Talmud, Yoma 85b. So why, Dr. Crowell, are you quoting this? I am doing this to prove that Jesus was absolutely positively accurate in healing on the Sabbath. And we must understand that one is not permitted, but one is actually required to desecrate the Sabbath in order to save a life. Let's go back to Hillel. Hillel, Elder Hillel, Hillel the Elder, actually uh, was the one that is responsible for these laws of Pekuah Nefesh to actually be inculcated into rabbinic law. When we see that life is involved and that uh, saving a life or even preserving a life in some way is, is involved, the laws of Pekuah Nefesh require that the sabbatical laws or the Sabbath laws be suspended in order to safeguard health or rescuing someone or causing life to be preserved. And this is because Hillel the Elder migrated from Babylon to the Holy Land in around the years of 110 B.C., and his two Torah teachers, Abtalion and Shemaiah, had a Torah academy. And he actually went uh, on the roof to study Torah because he was he did not have the finances to go into the Torah academy. And it was a Shabbat evening and he fell asleep and it began to snow. And all of a sudden, those teachers realized that there was a shadow cast on the roof and they realized, oh, a Hillel fell asleep in the snow and he could be in trouble. So they had to violate the Sabbath to pull him down and to warm him, which also is a violation of the Sabbath to start a fire so that he would be warmed and so that his life would be preserved. And as a result, the elder Hillel, because his life was preserved on the Sabbath, became one of the greatest teachers in all of Hebrew history. Now, why is this important? This is important because when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, 
technically he was not violating the Sabbath. But now let's go a little bit further. Now we've explained the technical teaching of why Jesus healed on the Sabbath, but let's go into the personal, powerful, prophetic meaning of what the Sabbath actually means. And let us look, beloved saints, at the cases, some of the cases that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. First of all, Jesus healed this woman. And I want you to see he came into the synagogue on the Sabbath and this woman was bowed over with a spirit of infirmity. Now, I want you to understand that the concept of the kingdom of God is something that uh, is associated with first century and before. It is it is actually a rabbinic term. And in order to establish the kingdom of God, which was the theme of the rule and the reign of God, and it was the theme of Jesus, we need to understand that his theme was a theme to rule over all powers, including the powers of darkness, including the power of sickness, including the power of disease. And so we see that this woman who was bowed over with the spirit of infirmity for 18 years is a perfect spiritual specimen of someone who is going to be delivered and what the actual meaning of Shabbat is all about. Let me go back further in the Torah, in the Bible, so that you and I can understand the personal, powerful, prophetic meaning of these texts. First of all, the very first place that we see the word Shabbat or Sabbath used is used on in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 teach us, let's go there just for a moment so we can have an accurate understanding for the very first place. Uh, that the word Sabbath is used. Notice it is going to be used to show us that God rested. Now, I want you to understand what kind of rest this is. Was God tired? The answer is no. Was God worn out from creating? The answer is no. I want you to understand what's happening here and what kind of rest that Sabbath actually brings. And we as believers have received this rest in the redemption that comes to us through the blood-bought blessings of the cross of Calvary. I want you to see in Genesis chapter two, verses one through three, the Bible says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended. It really should be God finished. God finished his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had made. And he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it, he rested from all the work that he created and made. First of all, in order to understand this in a hermeneutical sense of scripture, we need to look at the word work. And in Hebrew, especially in the context of the first five books of the Bible, there are two words for work. One word for work is creative work, which is the word malaka. 
there is another word for work, which is the kind of work that is not creative at all. It is the kind of work that degenerates. It's the kind of work that pulls a person down. It's the kind of work that produces no profit. It's the kind of work that keeps a person stuck in a cycle. It's the kind of work that causes a person never to be able to go forward. It is the kind of work that Pharaoh inculcated upon the children of Israel. And I want you to see that this kind of work is called a Bodaparek. So I want you to see that when the Bible tells us that God rested from his work, this means he rested from creative work. Now, I want you to understand, dear child of God, that when God introduces the creation story and we see it in Genesis chapter one, we see on the sixth day of creation, man was made. And the Bible tells us in verse 26 that God created man in his own image and likeness. The Bible says, and God said, let us create man in our own image and in our own likeness. Verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image and in his likeness. The Bible says in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. I want you to see this word image used three times. Now I want you to follow systematically in sequence in the context of Genesis 1. Verse 28 is the first commandment that God gave to man. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So I want you to see the first action of man was an action that we see the image of God in man. And what was that? That was the ability to be uh, an individual that is going to to multiply. God called man to be fruitful and to multiply. Now you may say, what does it mean to multiply? I want you to understand that God gave man within his own soul and with his own being. He was engineered by God in the creation to be created in the image and the likeness of God. And that image is that God gave man the ability to invent. God gave man the ability to, if you will, create, not in the sense that God creates, but in the sense of creativity, in the sense of a vision, in the sense of a work, in the sense of causing something to come forth, in the sense of birthing out something, in the sense of a plan, in the sense of producing a plan. When someone writes a vision, when someone produces a plan, when someone goes forth into their destiny. It is creative. It is something that uniquely came forth from that individual. This is why the Bible says to us in Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made just as a thumbprint cannot be duplicated. So your sense of creativity, the giftedness that God put within you like him, that is in the image and in the likeness of God cannot be duplicated by anyone else. You were ordained of God to contribute to the environment. You were created by God with special gifts, talents, and abilities that no one else can do but you, that when you serve God and put God first, you come into that place of the completeness of who you are called to be. You see, without fulfilling your prophetic destiny, without fulfilling 
that calling that God has put within you to create something and to birth it out, to produce something and to contribute to your generation, to contribute to your church, to contribute to your family, to contribute through your teaching, to contribute through your gift, to contribute through your work. You see, God created something within you industrious to be able to create something industrious, to participate in some form of of something that will cause the creative works of God to flow through you. But it's uniquely yours, something God gave to you. Now, beloved saints, this is why the Bible says God ended his work. He completed it. It's the word kalah in Hebrew, which actually means to finish or to complete. I want you to understand as an individual, you really are not complete until you know what God has called you to do. There is part of your soul, part of who you are, that Jesus Christ wants you to fulfill through him and in him. There is a unique destiny that no one else can fulfill but you, something that God has called you to do, and you are not limited by anything uh, except the fact that... Uh, you you pick it up and do it or you do not. Now, beloved saints, why am I sharing this with you? Because this malaka is what God rested from on the seventh day. He rested from creative work. Now, if you will, I want to explain to you the other kind of work, the kind of work that is the work that is not creative, the kind of work that Shabbat or that the Sabbath came to destroy, the kind of work, beloved saints, that Jesus was proclaiming when he pronounced the kingdom of God and the announcement of the kingdom upon those that were afflicted by the oppressor, by those who were bound by a spirit of affliction in any way, shape, or form, those who were oppressed by the tyranny of satanic power, like this woman who was bowed down with a spirit of infirmity, or like some of you that are bowed down right now with a spirit of infirmity, or like not only the woman who was bowed down, but the man in Mark's gospel in the third chapter, the Bible tells us Jesus again entered a synagogue and they tempted him watching to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath or not because he was going to heal. They knew what he was about to do because he was going to prove what the Sabbath really was for. The Sabbath is given to us for redemptive rest. That means that we don't have to observe it in a legal sense because of the of the fact beloved saints Jesus is our rest. So we are not teaching legalism. We are teaching liberation and proclamation of liberation. That means we are proclaiming to you the kingdom of God. So you and I must understand that the kind of rest that Jesus is talking about, and we can only understand it through the lens of Torah. We can only understand it in its original sense. So this is why we need to understand the difference between the two types of labor, the two types of of work and what Jesus was actually destroying on the Sabbath day. I want you to understand that this is the kind of rest that God uh, God brings to his people, a redemptive rest. And Jesus is the one that I want you to see is now proclaiming 
this man with the withered hand uh, was in the synagogue and they were watching to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath or not when they knew that he was most likely and they were correct going to heal on the Sabbath. Now I want you to understand that the withered hand has a personal, powerful, prophetic meaning because the hand represents something that you do, something that you produce with that hand, something that you um, you use your hand usually for something that is of a, your hand is like a utility. Your hand is something that produces something. It's something you use for work. It is something that you use to create something. It is something that you use if you are a woman and you are a seamstress. You use your hand to cut out the pattern. If you are a, a, a cook, you have to have your hand in order to be able to create that incredible meal that God put within you to create. If you are a mama, you need that hand in order to embrace your child and tenderly cause that child to know they're safe, to know they're okay, to know that they don't need to cry. If you are a a brother, you need that hand to build something. You need that hand. And you see the withered hand is a prophetic parallel, not just of a biological illness, because when Jesus was healing on the Sabbath day, it was not just something biological. I want you to understand that Jesus was destroying something spiritual. He was destroying demonic power on the Sabbath day. This is why in Mark chapter one, the very first healing that Mark shows us that he healed on the Sabbath was a man with an unclean spirit. So I want you to see that this redemptive rest that Jesus is bringing by healing on the Sabbath, and he is not a renegade rabbi. I want you to understand that he is absolutely fulfilling rabbinic law perfectly, not breaking the Torah. He is able to answer his accusers. This is why they could not speak because he put them to shame by knowing the Torah perfectly. I want you to understand dear people of God, that this man with the withered hand represents those of us that we have some kind of emotional disability or spiritual disability that we just can't produce, that everything we do seems to fall apart, that every time we go to conquer, every time we go for our dream every time we go to to do something that we feel God has put in our in our heart to do for his kingdom there is such a battle or there is such an opposition that we feel like our hand is weak it's like it's withered but I want you to know on the Shabbat Jesus healed the withered hand and I want you to know that you today through the power of the Shabbat as we come into the time of Rosh Hashanah I want you to understand because Rosh Hashanah is is a symbol of seven and the seven is the seventh day. The seventh day is a supernatural symbol in God's word that represents the redemptive rest that Jesus came to bring to us. And you see, dear child of God, as you see that hand healed, which I believe there are many of you right now that God is anointing your hand. He's anointing your hand with power. He is anointing your hand to go forward. He is anointing your hand uh, to go ahead and design that plan, to go ahead and write out that vision, to go ahead and, and start that church. He's anointing your hand because he's already put his hand upon you. And so you see, well, Dr. Corral, please prove to 
to me that this is redemptive rest. All right. So we have proven to you through Genesis chapter two, that this was created work, creative work. We have shown you the difference in the Hebrew scriptures that shows us the difference between creative work, which is Malacca, which is the kind of work that God rested from. And then we see another kind of work, which is called a vote Peric. A vote Peric appears to us, dear child of God, in the book of Exodus. Now, I want to hermeneutically explain something to you that is absolutely essential or you're not going to get this lesson at all. You see, it is very important that when you are surveying the text, that you follow God's word accurately. And here we see the very first time that Shabbat is used in the Bible is this place or Sabbath is used in the Bible is in Genesis chapter two, verses one through three. But I want you to see it's not used again, though you may see the word rest again. You are going to see the word rest used in the, in the story of Noah. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter eight, verse four, the Bible says the ark rested in the seventh month, in the 17th day of the month. But that word for rest is not the word Shabbat. You see, uh, it is another kind of rest. It is actually the word that Noah's name means. Noah's name in Hebrew means Noach and Noach means to rest, to repose. So this is not exactly what Shabbat means. So if we really want to understand the meaning of Shabbat, doesn't it mean to repose? In a sense. Doesn't it mean to rest, like to physically rest your body? In a sense. But I'm going to show you where we're going to understand the deep, personal, prophetic meaning, a profound meaning of this word Shabbat and what kind of rest it really was intended to bring to God's people. Because we do not see the use of the word Shabbat again until Exodus 5. And guess who is the person in the Bible that uses the word Shabbat? It is very important to know it was not Moses. It is very important to know that in the book of Exodus, it was not Aaron. It is very important to know it was not Miriam. Do you know who this person was that used the word Shabbat the second time in the Bible that Moses deliberately withheld the use of this word Shabbat so that he would uh, again cause it to appear in its appropriate place so that we would be able to connect the components from the word Shabbat being used here in Exodus all together with the way that the word Shabbat is used in Genesis chapter two. I want you to understand that these are connecting components. And this means that the original intention of Shabbat is going to be shown to us in the second place that it is used. And where do we see it? Where is it used? It is used in the Pharaoh narrative. And guess who says it? It is Pharaoh in his anger toward Moses. Let us look and see where this word Shabbat is actually used. This is used in the Pharaoh narrative. And the only way to understand the Pharaoh narrative of Exodus 5 is to really understand the slavery narrative, which is a little bit different in Exodus chapter 1. But let us begin with this Pharaoh narrative. And remember, Moses came to Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Let my people go 
Haven't we heard these words before? Didn't Jesus say to the woman that was with, uh, bent over with the spirit of infirmity in Luke chapter 10, or excuse me, Luke chapter 13, we do see that when Jesus healed her, he said, woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Now, beloved saints, notice to let go and for this woman to be loosed on the Sabbath day are also connected. I want you to see it. So the Bible says in verse two, and Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And uh, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And they said, the Lord God of the Hebrews met with us. Let us go that we may go three days into the wilderness and into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord lest he fall upon us with pestilence or the sword. Verse four. And the king of Egypt said to them, wherefore do you, Moses, where do you, Moses and Aaron, let the people, um, let the people uh, stop from their works. Get you to your burdens. Verse five. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are many and you make them Shabbat. You make them rest. In other words, being let go out of Egypt, being let go from Pharaoh's control, being let go from demonic power that has controlled you your entire life, being let go from rejection, being let go from verbal abuse, being let go from any kind of abuse from any taskmaster that has tyrannized and paralyzed your destiny is truly when that spirit is broken off and when you are let go, I want you to understand that is the Shabbat that that Jesus Christ came to redemptively bring to his people. And right now, I want you to understand, this is a very significant a season in the biblical time calendar. I want you to know that the calendar that God wrote is scriptural. I want you to understand that the first commandment that God gave to Israel was to keep the, the was a commandment. It was a commandment that he gave to Israel nationally. And we see this very first commandment, the commandment given in Exodus chapter 12, verse two, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, this shall be the beginning of months to you. It is the first month of the year to you. What does this mean? This means that God established a biblical calendar by which he would perform the salvific acts of his power in the earth. And he wanted them marked on a calendar. Now I want you to understand something. You're not following some dead law when you look at the biblical calendar, because the biblical calendar, beloved saints reveals to us the power of Jesus Christ. We see in the first six months of the biblical calendar, which is the time of Passover and the six months following, we see Jesus revealed as the lamb of God. But the second six months, beginning with seven, one, which is the biblical new year, Rosh Hashanah, which actually is a time that 
actually in the Hebrew language means. It is a time for Kabbalat Ol Malkut Shemayim, which in Hebrew means to take upon oneself the yoke of the kingdom of God. We see Jesus uh, coming as our soon coming king. And we also see that Rosh Hashanah is judgment day. So we see that on Rosh Hashanah, we are preparing ourselves for Jesus Christ's second return. We are preparing ourselves for his power. And we are understanding now that the spiritual significance in the Bible and especially in the book of Revelation, this is why sevens are continuously repeated in the book of Revelation, actually over 90 times. So we need to understand this is not an accident. This is actually something done deliberately by John, because we are seeing that the book of Revelation is showing us Rosh Hashanah revealed and end times uncontrolled. Concealed. So I want you to see this spiritual meaning of Shabbat. I want you to see this spiritual significance of being let go. I want you to see that Jesus deliberately healed on the Shabbat to preserve life and to release God's people from satanic power. And this, my dear friends, is why Pharaoh said to Aaron and Moses, but specifically to Moses, he said, Behold, the people of the land are many, and you make them Shabbat, the second place in the Bible. No, it's nowhere else in Genesis. No, it's not in the beginning of Exodus. It is through the very mouth of Pharaoh himself that being let go from his power is a Shabbat, that being let go from satanic rule is a Shabbat. Now, beloved people, I want you to know that we also see that healing on the Sabbath is so spiritually significant. I want to close today with another miracle that Jesus did that we see here that I believe Jesus is doing for you right now. We see it shown to us in the gospel according to John. John, the fifth chapter. And we see many of the miraculous manifestations of God's power in the gospel according to John that are done during the biblical feasts. Notice that this is going to be another miracle that Jesus is going to perform during the biblical feast. We see also that during the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem in John chapter 7. We also see in John chapter 8 through 10, Jesus proclaims that he is the light of the world through the Feast of Hanukkah. How do we know? Because the Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 22, and it was the Feast of Dedication, which translated from English to Hebrew is the Feast of Hanukkah, and it was winter. Now we are going to see a third, a miracle taking place, beloved saints. Let's look. The Bible says in John chapter five, looking at verse one, the Bible says, and there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was there at Jerusalem by the sheep market, a pool, which in the Hebrew tongue is called the pool of Bethesda having five porches. I want you to understand the spiritual significance of these five porches is five depths of deliverance that God wants to bring to you right now. 
And the Bible says, and in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind of halt waiting for the moving of the water. Now, I want you to understand again, we have to go back to the historical context. It will help you understand what Jesus is actually doing so that you can receive the depths of deliverance in God's word right to the core and apply the word of God for your breakthrough. I want you to see, beloved saints, that in this text, the pool of Bethesda was a place outside the temple. That was a place where the maimed, the blind, and the paralyzed really were placed on a daily basis. And one of the reasons besides the fact of the moving of the waters in the sense of the first century, these precious individuals were not allowed into the temple. There were certain laws of prohibition that if there be any persons that are blind, that that are blind, that are maimed, that have any form of physical defect, they could not enter the temple. And this was not a light law. This was something that was uh, signs that were posted all throughout the temple precinct in that area that a person was forbidden to violate this law and to enter if there was any kind of physical defect. This is why they gathered outside the temple because they felt unworthy. They felt as if they were the outcasts. Now, I want you to understand there are some of you that are just like those at the pool of Bethesda. You have been misunderstood by your generation. You perhaps were hurt by some wound that took place by the womb. You know, the Bible tells us the man at the gate, beautiful, had wounds from the womb. The Bible says he was carried from the womb. God knows about these wounds from the womb and these things were not written so you know they happened. They were written to validate and authenticate the fact that God considers your print, your pain as something very valuable to him. Now I want you to see beloved saints that the Bible tells us that Jesus, there was a certain man which had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lie, he knew that he had been there a long time in that case. And Jesus said to him, will you be whole? And the impotent man answered him in verse seven of John chapter five. He said, sir, when the water is troubled, um, I have no man to put me in the pool. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said, rise take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And the same day was the Sabbath. Now I want you to know that there are those that are going to criticize Jesus for doing this. But again, they were, uh, they were absolutely inaccurate. And they were the type of Pharisees that were from a different sect of those from the house of Hillel. We already explained at the beginning of this teaching that it actually was rabbinic law that to save life and to preserve life, even to this days, the laws of Pekuah HaNefesh are used in the land of Israel. This means that if there is a doctor and a woman is in childbirth and it is the Shabbat, the doctor is under obligation to save the life of the baby and violate the Sabbath rather than to just observe the Sabbath and let a person die. And so you see that Jesus considers life, not only biological life, but Jesus said, I 
came to give you life and give it to the full. So that is not just biological life only. It is also your destiny. It is also your purpose. It is also your emotional makeup. It is also all of the years of tears that you have spent in sorrow that you don't feel you can ever have a life. I want you to understand that Jesus said to this man, rise up and walk. You see, he represents some of us that are stuck. We can't get up. We've been hurt. We've been rejected. We've been stuck in a cycle and we can't seem to lift ourselves up to get to the next level. There is something presenting, preventing us from going forward. Some kind of feral like trauma, some kind of feral like experience where a taskmaster has kept us down. Whether it's a taskmaster of a spirit of abuse or a taskmaster from a certain system or a taskmaster socially or a taskmaster even in the church. Beloved saints, I want you to know that Jesus Christ has come to release you from the power of the toil of the taskmaster. He wants you to go forward. And on this Rosh Hashanah, I believe with all my heart, you are going to have a new beginning. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you today to bring your healing power to all of those that have been bound, especially those that are under a spirit that they feel like they just can't succeed. Something that constantly sabotages them. Every time they go for their dream, there is some force that wants to intimidate or manipulate them into fear, into saying you can't go forward. But today I want to thank you that Lord God, every feral like taskmaster is broken off of our life. And today, God, you are bringing deliverance from the toil of the taskmaster. You are breaking the bondage and causing us to understand the supernatural secret of Shabbat, the true reason of redemptive rest that you came to bring to us. You came to bring us the depths of deliverance. You came proclaiming the kingdom, which was the proclamation of liberation from all satanic power. And we give you praise and we give you thanks in Jesus name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Beloved, we invite you today to go to our website. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can download many of our podcasts by going, beloved, to mydayofdestiny.com. That's mydayofdestiny.com. Or you can go to our ministry website, which is breathofthespirit.org. That's breathofthespirit.org. And you can see on our Facebook or our Instagram, Dr. Michelle Corral on Facebook or Dr. Michelle Corral on Instagram. I invite you to visit any of our social media platforms, beloved saints. And also you can donate anytime you wish to, to any of our international works of mercy to the poorest of the poor around the world. Right now we have projects in Egypt, in India, in Uganda, in the Philippines, and in many of the nations of the world. And these nations are receiving every day food, uh, 
in Uganda, we are helping villagers with daily feeding programs, medicines, building water wells, and helping our orphans. Also, we have in the land of India, two powerful works. We have the work going on to educate children. And we also have the work of daily feeding programs, helping through our beloved Pastor Silas, who is raising up disciples, training up nationals to become disciples and bringing feeding programs on a daily basis. There are multiple uh, works of poor for the poor that you can support as you go to mydamndestiny.com or breathofthespirit.org. Beloved, we thank you for joining us. We love you. God bless you. And don't miss out on your day of destiny next time. I'll see you later. I'm Dr. Michelle Corrales.